shot tower. The real NBA, guys under six foot three in their socks, fantasy NBA podcast. Guys in socks. <laughs> guys in socks. Guys in socks. <laughs> Fantasy NBA Hybrid Podcast brought to you by Kyle, Jalen, and me, Michael. We're in week six. We have a five-team race in the East. The Bucks, Celtics, Heat, Raptors, and 76ers have separated themselves in a six-team race in the West with the Lakers, Nuggets, Clippers, Mavs as a bit of a surprise, Jazz, and Rockets all separating themselves from the rest of that conference. While last year's finalists, the Trailblazers and the Warriors, uh, raced to the bottom of the standings in um, what has become hard to watch basketball a little bit. Um, So that's where we are in week six. Um, A couple of quick takes before we get going with some of our bigger topics. I wanted to call out um, Dave Chappelle was at a Lakers practice last week as part of the, the Genius Series. They bring in what they call geniuses from other fields and try to learn from their excellence. So um, Dave Chappelle was there. I have no idea what he talked about or did, but there was footage of him after whatever he did, putting up jumpers with Quinn Cook, trying to work on a step back, and it looked horrible. <laughs> So that's Dave Chappelle. Um, He looked much better in the Prince episode from his old show, um, but it was still good to see him out there putting up some shots. Did either of you guys see that footage? Yeah, I saw it. Um, What was notable to me was the fact that um, Quinn Cook seems to be the player always involved with non- uh, superstar athletes or you know he went to the there was a media game last year in the playoffs um, out in California and Quinn Cook was just sitting on the sidelines in socks and shoes and socks and sandals um, as every AAU hooper does after the game <laughs> just kind of you know shooting the breeze talking to the the media members who cover him every day and just having a good time I, I want to hang out with Quinn Cook I guess that's what I'm saying he seems like a fun guy he does seem like a fun guy and a classic gym rat and just like that's his domain. That's yeah. where he is. That's where he loves to be. Yeah, I mean, it's funny that you say that because I feel like Kevin Durant has been saying for years now, I'm just a hooper, you know, yeah. I'm a hooper. Yeah. And I think, you know, not to be all existential about it, but I think that was probably too true that he was just a hooper and like hoop was all he knew. And, you know, that kind of meant that once he got to the mountaintop, he wasn't completely satisfied. You know, it didn't fix all the other problems or doubts or concerns he had in his life. So it's interesting that Quinn Cook is like one of his best friends. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. Um, one other quick thing uh, we wanted to hit last week, we touched on Carmelo and his first game, which was happening as we were recording. It was a rough first outing, but Carmelo has righted himself a little bit and put up some big numbers last night, I think it was. Um, any thoughts on the return of Carmelo or PG uh, with the Clippers? I mean, I'll take Carmelo because uh, we talked about him a little bit last week, and he didn't have a great first game, but I feel like you know now we're I think maybe two or three games in, and yeah, I mean, I feel like some of the things that I said are sort of coming true. He's shooting more threes, um, and he's knocking them down. And I think this was always the case that if Melo made the open shots that he got, he was going to be a decently productive player on the offensive end. Um, I think we've yet to see whether or not 
he can help the Blazers on defense? And the answer to that is likely no. But I do want to say that he looks um, noticeably thinner. Um, and, yeah, you know, his camp and his trainers made a point to say that he spent a lot of the offseason and his time that he wasn't playing in the league this season working on his um, lateral quickness and mobility and and um, health and weight and body and all that sort of stuff. And I think that's visible to the naked eye. Definitely. His um, feet look quicker to me. Yeah. And he's got a lot more stamina, too. I mean, he's coming out and playing. You know, he played 24 minutes that first game that we when we were recording last week. And since then, he's gone up to 29 35. I saw a number of tweets. Um, I mean, 35 I think Josh is a Lloyd serious had one. number of minutes. Why is Carmelo Anthony playing 35 minutes? Um, but he comes back then with 31 and 25 points, eight rebounds, two assists, a steal. Yeah. Last night. Yeah. And he had two steals the game before, two games before, I think. Um, I, I love the title of the athletic piece. Um, it was a quote from Carmelo. Uh, this ain't. This ain't a damn farewell tour. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, he's I, been... I like the attitude. He's been saying that for a while. I think uh, one of his trainers, Chris Brinkley, came out and said that Carmelo deserved a farewell tour, and Carmelo was like, I never said that this was going to be a farewell tour. There seems to be some belief that he wants to play past this season, which, of course, remains to be seen. But, um, yeah, I mean, I mean Carmelo's fun. Does, though, Carmelo's right? fun. Like, I mean, <laughs> we're sitting here talking about what Carmelo's going to look and like, going to look like in pick and roll coverage. Carmelo's just fun. And I think it's okay for us to be like, Carmelo's fun. Like, his wife, Lala, is like showing him the FaceTime of his son on the bench. Like, this is like classic, like a happy parent on the sidelines of a Little League baseball game. Um, his Dame is going crazy. Like Dame is going to give himself an aneurysm or something. He's doing the three fingers to the head so hard celebrating Carmelo's threes. I mean, it's just fun to see a guy who's been so dominant and so, such a good scorer, at least for his entire career, and who has so much respect across the league to come back and then have some success, you know. Um, yeah, it, it's fun rooting for Carmelo. Yeah, so that's a Shams Terrania story. Um, okay. this, ain't a, this ain't a farewell tour. Um, that came out today, I believe. Um, and I agree. Uh, Carmelo, Carmelo's got to be good for the league with how much coverage he gets, you know, with how much fan, e- even if it's negative reaction. It's a great story. I'm glad he's getting a chance again. I'm stunned that he has this many minutes, but I'm glad to see the 25 points. Who else is going to play there? Yeah, I mean, Nasser Little. Well, I think we'll get true. to that discussion maybe a little bit down the road because Jalen wrote about him for Razball, and I'm interested. But there, you're right; there aren't many options. That that's the option. What are Nasir Little's minutes at? Average um, per game? I think they've gone up to uh, they, they once were, once Collins got injured. Yeah. Um, they went up, I think, to about like 15 minutes a game. And he had a few games before Carmelo joined and as Carmelo was starting where he was in the 20s, I want to say. But they've trended down a little bit again. Yeah, since Carmelo's kind of found his rhythm, he's it sort is, of fallen It's off. tough because the Blazers still very much want to make the playoffs. And Carmelo may just be a stopgap for the trade that everyone has been thinking that they might make um, for a couple of years now, um, whether it's going to be for— What trade is that? Kevin Love or Danilo Gallinari, you know somebody. McCollum going out? No, no, they they would ne- definitely not be giving up either of their. This is small pieces and picks. Yes, small pieces and picks. Mm-hmm. You know, building around the current team to try to con- 
continue to compete in a year when the at least the major power warriors um, are off the board. I don't think that they're going to have any easier luck with the Clippers I mean, or are the Lakers. Tr- but are the Trailblazers reevaluating that mode as we look at what the Western Conference has become? There are and, some very and, strong teams here. And how fall, far they've fallen. And they have a lot of ground to make up. Yeah, so I mean, I have a couple questions about that. But just to clarify, uh, Nazir Little, he, prior to the last three games, so uh, including Carmelo's first game, he was up to 23 minutes a game for like the a four or five game stretch. Okay. Um, I think it's fallen off since Carmelo's joined the team. Um, but yeah, I wonder, can the can the Blazers actually trade picks and pieces for Kevin Love? Are the Cavs actually going to go for that? They want more than picks. I feel like the Blazers are going to have to give up CJ to make a real tra- to, to make the trade that's going to impact their ability to advance in the playoffs and win a championship. Yeah, I mean, but don't you also think that the Cavs are in a different place than they were when they one re-signed Kevin Love and two were adamant that they were going to keep him? Well, I think the Cavalier signing of their new coach has been better than anybody expected. And the way they're playing with that too big when uh, Thompson and Love are healthy is pretty interesting so far. I mean, Garland, Sexton, and Porter out there um, with those two bigs. That's interesting to hear you say that because Beeline was thought to be coming in and if he was going to do something innovative and weird, it was going to be that he was going to play... Two point guards. Yeah. yeah. Well, he but, is doing that. Though, yeah. Isn't and then, and he's even con- like Porter actually looks like a third point guard out there. The way they're playing him, like he's he's being asked to play make. Had maybe seven assists last night, something like that. Like, it's it's interesting the way they're playing. It, it, and I don't know if anybody else in the league is running an offense like that. I mean, the funny thing is they have three supposed point guards, and, like, I don't know what Garland's assist numbers are, but Sexton's <laughs> still only averaging, like, 2.1 assists. Like, in Porter's recent- up to 1.9 in probably, like, half the playing time that, Kevin that Sexton Porter has. on your list of waiver wire maybe keep an eye on? He Yeah, he was not on my list last week, but I sort of forgot about it, him, and he'll definitely be on the list this it's week. It's really happening he's got talent. this week. Like, he's got talent. He flies around which I love. He to can see. get up. He'll dunk on. He yeah. dunked on somebody last week. Um, he's strong. He'll bully his way to the basket. Like if he refines his game, he's not going to be James Harden. Like that was a comparison for him coming out of college. That's not the case. Luka Doncic is the only like comparable James Harden comp right now, but he can be James Harden light. You know, he can bully his way to the basket. He can knock down a spot up threes. Um, and I think he's got maybe a higher assist uh, capability than Sexton for sure. Maybe not Garland, but Sexton for sure. Sexton seems destined for a Lou Williams type <laughs> role. That, that, that would be encouraging because that would raise his assist numbers considerably <laughs> <laughs> if he got to Lou Williams level. So, <laughs> um, yeah. Well, so, Lou Williams' assist numbers have gone up over his career too. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So, in so, 10 he, years, so he could actually be on years, a Lou Williams if Sexton is there, track. Sure, without I, I, that's entirely possible. Which, <laughs> granted, is saying a lot. Um, you know, is is very much rosy thinking because Lou Williams is maybe the best sixth man of all time. So this is what I say we do. We can just quickly go over some of the the names I mentioned on my piece for Razzball. It was called Waiver Wire Woes, you know, as in a nod to Drake riding through the six with my woes. So 
uh, check it out. Uh, but some of the names I mentioned were Rondé Hollis Jefferson, who I just picked up in our league. Uh, he had a double-double last night. Um, he's going to give you a little bit of everything, points, rebounds, steals, uh, maybe like an assist here or there. He might surprise you with a block as well. Um, and obviously, Serge Ibaka is out. Kyle Lowry is out. So that's upping his playing time. But there's also, I think, going to be a, a smaller role for him. But it's still a role once those guys get back healthy. Yeah, Taren- let's, let's talk about who you dropped. Because you did, you know, on the pod two episodes ago, maybe it was, you said that you were going to hold on to Michael Porter Jr. for dear life. And it yeah. was Michael Porter Jr. that you had to drop. How do you feel about it? Are you keeping an eye on him? I'm, yeah, I'm definitely still going to keep an eye on him. I think I just came to the conclusion that the combination of Mike Malone being Mike Malone and sort of not putting you in the game if you're not reliable on defense and him being young and the fact that he's not he doesn't look extremely explosive or fluid in his movements yet and I imagine all of those things will be improved next year that I'm kind of taking a chance that he won't show uh you know he won't start to blossom until maybe at the very end of the season or at the start of next year, in which case I should still have time to pick him up this year if it is this year. And definitely if it's next year, then I can either take him in the draft or take him immediately after the draft. And that's a smart take, I think, on his injury recovery because those recovery because those were serious injuries. And that those are the kind of surgeries that make lateral movement more mm. difficult which makes mm. playing defense more difficult and and yeah it takes a serious amount of time to recover for those even so, for somebody as young as Michael Porter Jr. Yeah and he he had like drop foot um in the preseason right. which is like a nerve issue resulting from the issues with the back so right. it's just sort of like I'm sure you know with more time ahead of him he, all of that stuff will be behind him. Yeah. And next year you're going to see some big minutes players on the Nuggets um, contracts be up that may mm-hmm. you know, they may or may not be gone but you imagine they probably will be probably both Paul Millsap and Mason Plumley are out and they take up a lot of minutes there mm-hmm. and um, it might mean that they start to play some different lineups with um, Jokic at the five um, and opens up different ways for Michael Porter Jr. to get on the court and yeah yeah I but, wouldn't keep my I, I, I definitely I mean he's on my watch list for if anything switches you know I love to pounce on the waiver wire when somebody's role begins to change um so I'll be watching Michael Porter Jr. for that I was watching um Rondé for the same reason and I liked your pickup of him Jalen and I like it especially because Nick Nurse has been talking him up a great great deal and giving him some of um OG's minutes mm-hmm. d- during this span too so it's, yeah. it's been an interesting play and OG's been playing super well yeah. yeah. This is when this is something we just talked about recently, which is that there are two reasons to hold on to or grab a player in fantasy basketball. And it either is that the player's skill set just blows you away where you're like when they get minutes they're going to be great and I want to be I want to get in on the ground floor on that or you hear the coaches saying that they're behind the player and they're you know if they're raving about that player then you can get in there before everyone else is Good example of that this year, Chris Dunn. Chris yeah. Dunn was basically off everyone's draft yeah. list. Everyone was saying, just forget about the guy. And Boylan, Boylan. Boylan came out and said he really loved what he was doing. And he talked him up in each of the press conferences in the first week. 
And I should have known better, but I didn't go out and get him, and someone else snatched him up. And he doesn't give you much, but he's been racking up steals like we all always knew he could. I, I feel like this is almost a comparison to, like, the teacher's pet. He's the coach's pet in Chicago because Boylan wants every guy on that team to play defense like Chris Dunn does. I don't think that's actually possible, yeah. but that's like that's his function Chris to Dunn some extent. Why he keeps running him out energy. there? It's well, He's it's it's great everywhere. fun to watch, but when you look at that stat line and the plus minus and some like, it doesn't work out so yeah. well. Yeah, no, I mean, I think that's a good call, and it ties into something that I've been thinking about, which is like there's oftentimes a discrepancy between real NBA players functionality for their literal teams versus the functionality and usefulness for um, your fantasy team. Right. Uh, But a lot of the people on my watch list are guys who I think were talked up in preseason guys who have some ability and they're just young or they haven't figured it out yet. And so that's a way in which I think when you're mining sort of the waiver wire and mining the sort of watch list picks that's what you want to keep in mind like who who are the people that the coach likes that the coach trusts that with expanded playing time will be able to put up some numbers but they they oftentimes have to have a certain level of um know-how particularly on the defensive end to get the playing time you know Um, someone else who's on the watch list that I mentioned is Lonnie Walker who just like is not going to get enough run because he's not polished enough to play ahead of the other people in the lineup or to satisfy Greg Popovich, you know, one of the most demanding coaches of all time. They are starting to switch their lineups with the Spurs, and LaMarcus Aldridge has approved of the Jakob Pertl uh, insertion as the five. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that may continue. It looks like it might. Might Lonnie Walker get some more time as the Spurs have to shift some things around to actually find a functional lineup? Yeah, you would think. Um, I mean, I think – Derek White started the other night. Yeah. Um, so they're definitely changing things. Because Murray's been hurting, yeah. too, and not playing as well as they had hoped. So so they've definitely been trying to change things up so that you would think would bode well for Lonnie Walker. But I tend to think, similar to Michael Porter Jr., it might be in, not until next year that yeah. it really comes together. And it, some of the some of the people on my watch list, that's just the case. You know, I threw Cam Reddish on here just because of draft pedigree. Um, but I think, again – the Hawks like him. The Hawks need him to be good. The Hawks essentially traded um, Luka Doncic for uh, Cam Reddish and DeAndre Hunter. So they want those two guys to be good because right. that was what they got in compensation for moving down and not taking Doncic. And Reddish has looked good in flashes. He actually he has a good shooting game every seventh game, <laughs> I think it is. <laughs> and, and the one number he does pretty well, he, he gets a steal plus a game when, when he was uh, playing real minutes. So. Do you, my worry with Reddish is his shooting is so bad. It's you, bad. That you wonder how long they can continue to play him those big minutes when they have other players who can fill I mean, the same role. It's the same well, question they, they I have about another guy who I think – think was on your list i can't remember right now but rj barrett who no i didn't put him on my okay. list but, um he, he's he's uh been drafted he was drafted in our league or picked up in our league it might have even been me did i draft him i think i drafted them and barrett oh no no alamo drafted, him. alamo drafted him and is sitting on him but his percentages are so bad for fantasy they really hurt your team two categories you know, the real Knicks, it doesn't matter. They're not running an offense. They don't seem to be even running real lineups sometimes. Um, you, you know, they're just running him out there letting him shoot. 
because they can't have all power forwards. But in fantasy, <laughs> it will destroy your team. The Knicks are already destroyed, so they can play Barrett like that. You want to talk about Frankie Smokes? Sure. I love him. He's great. I mean, it started with FIBA for me, which I watched some of, and I just thought he looked really good with the French national team in a couple of games, and I thought it might carry over, and a couple of sports writers, I don't remember who now, also suggested that. Um, and I think, well, you know, they really wanted Dennis Smith Jr. to sort of to, to work out there. That's clearly they wanted the, They wanted working. the Porzingis trade did not you know. be completely empty. <laughs> Peyton um, sort of took over from DSJ, um, but he's been hurt, which gave Frankie Smokes some time, and he has looked, to my eye, incredible. He's, he's playing under control, is incredibly quick at times, but actually plays in a really modulated fashion. Um, he has a really great, I hate to say this, but mid-range game. That left block out, and he looks great over there. He's getting really simple jumpers. He's getting steals and clumps. His shooting's still a little rough, but his assists at times are good. When his assists are down, it's actually a Knicks game where they're usually getting crushed, and Bobby Portis gets the ball and shoots the ball. I was gonna say um, Morris if, gets the ball and shoots the ball. Imagine what he like, would be like if those type of guys weren't just, there. If, if they were simply running an offense where the point guard brought the ball up or initiated the offense, his numbers would be staggering. Like he could put up serious, serious, huge numbers. So I love him as a as an in season waiver wire pickup who could very well turn into something next year. Listening to the Boston sportscasters about the transformation of the team from last year to this, it's not all about Kyrie. They talk about Marcus Morris being gone quite a bit, too. That, you know, the yeah, that the, attitude. Yeah. Well, it's, it's not just attitude. It's where the ball stops. And, True. And they, they, they just didn't have the kind of cohesion in the passing. And, you know. Yes, mentality matters in the sort of togetherness of that, yeah. too. But, you know, it's also just the, the mentality leads to a playing style. Yeah, and, and I, I completely agree. I was actually referencing another piece. Uh, Marcus Smart was asked about Kyrie yesterday, maybe, or maybe it was today, and made a statement that I thought was pretty interesting. They basically, he was saying he and the other players didn't have a problem with Kyrie and didn't necessarily have a problem with what, um, uh, colloquially, and I don't love this, get called his moods. The problem was, from Marcus Smart's perspective, was that they didn't know where Kyrie was. And Kyrie didn't talk about these things. So other, his teammates didn't even know what was going on. They wanted to be there, but didn't know how to be there. And it just created an awkwardness in the locker room um, that, that, yeah, and mm. and. Players like Morris can kind of fit into that kind of thing in a negative way from what I've and seen. I think it was Zach Lowe and Doris Burke were talking about it. And the the numbers say that Kemba Walker is basically doing the same thing that um, Kyrie was doing. He has almost the same usage, almost the same minutes, almost the same counter stats of every, percentages <laughs> yeah, of, of every kind. Uh, and yet they're a very different team. Yeah. And some of it – is that the way that that Kyrie is? I mean, I'm sorry. The way that Kemba is playing um, does it's not just a mentality thing, right? It's it's um, the way that he plays with other players on the court um, opens up a, the game in a different way. Um, but 
you know that that's something that I'd be interested in talking more on here. The, I do believe that there are such things as um, teams becoming a sort of like organic thing that's yeah. more than any player and it's not just a raw collection of aggregated data that it's instead a weird organism that builds over a season and there's great energy in it as long as it stays contained and it was and that's what happened with the celtics two years ago when everybody was getting hurt and they still played up it's what exactly what didn't happen last year is what we see happening this year with a team like the phoenix suns i think it's what we saw happening with the nets before they made traded the whole bench mob and brought in these new guys, what was organic is now just something new. But that organic build, that's fun. It's fun for everybody. And I think that attitude goes into the playing attitude and everybody's just rolling out there and looser and all of that stuff that we hear about. I mean, organic's just so much more fun to watch. You said it, I think one of you said it on our group uh, text feed, the the sons are the new kings. Yeah, I think I said that. <laughs> okay, credit yeah. to Kyle on that. But they are. They're fun as hell to watch, even with Aiton out, even when Rubio was hurt. They're really fun to watch. The kings are kind of back to being the kings again, though. If, if they're you're not the kings them, until I... Fox is playing. Oh, for sure. But they're, <laughs> they're, they're a lot more interesting than what they were in the first two weeks of the season. They're, they've figured some things out. I was just watching them last night against Boston, and they play tough. And yeah. um, Harrison Barnes is actually playing really well. He'll quietly often do well. He's just a piece they need to have there to stabilize everything else, I think. That's sort of how I see his role. Yeah, so, I mean, I think some of what we were talking about, this idea that these teams can become these sort of living organisms where they're greater than the sum of their parts, you know, um, where – and I think that's true of a couple of teams, particularly in the East. So if you want to transition to, like, a conversation about some of the East powerhouses – I think that would definitely be true of the Celtics, as we were talking about. I think that would definitely be true of the Heat. Um, I think that would definitely be true of the Toronto Raptors so far this year. And I think it's interesting because um, it's sort of contrasted with these other teams. So the Bucs have the best record in the East right now. But I don't know if we really feel like they've become that sort of, you know, organism that's just moving together, that's tied on a string in both defense and offense, you know. It's sort of just like the brilliance of Giannis and complementary pieces that fit and work well together. But, you know, I feel like everyone is still sort of waiting for them to run up against the Raptors or the Sixers in the playoffs and for it to all fall apart. Um, And similarly with the Sixers, the Sixers, um, they're fifth in the East right now. They're 11 and six. So they're certainly like not at the bottom of the standings by any stretch of the imagination. But um, there is still a sense that they haven't really figured it all out yet uh they just lost to the raptors in sort of like a frantic fashion and josh richardson was sort of like the go-to score in that situation um i think ben simmons is kind of struggling in the clutch so far this year so uh there's like a difference between these top five six teams in the east and where they are in sort of their progression to figuring things out and what what uh, yeah just wondering what your thoughts would on that would be i mean the Bucks are an interesting counterpoint, but I also think about it in the sense that sometimes 
you just can't build some organic unity when the pieces aren't there. You know, when we're talking about yeah, the difference between the Celtics last year and the Celtics this year, we might be able to say that they actually, in a certain way, have less talent this year, right? Yeah. Losing Al Horford and losing Kyrie Irving are, are and, and, you know, Marcus Morris, those are big deals. Um, but they've managed to be better because of the way that the, the players fit with one another. However, the players that they do still have on the team um, are all multi-skilled players who can do a lot of different things on the court and can mesh together well within a system that Brad Stevens has set up. Um, I think the Bucks have a bit, they just have more problems with players with deficiencies, players who have, you know, gaps in their games. Um, Wes Matthews, I think, at, at one point in his career, could have been one of those, one of those like multifaceted, versatile players, but he's he's not anymore. He doesn't have the same sort of lateral movement that he used to have, and he he will I, still I, have the odd hot night, but he will be yeah. incredibly inconsistent. And I think well, he, it, but that's the thing; he's actually been inconsistent his his entire career. There were. You thought yeah. that he had potential the early on. Is where, his inconsistency. Yeah. Well, you thought early on in his career that he had this potential to, like, if he put all the skills he had together. And was it an Achilles injury that he had? I think it was, um, which may have put the stop on that. But It was a year-long recovery. But there, the, the point is it's not just about Wes Matthews. They have a whole team of those. And I, I know you like DiVincenzo, but DiVincenzo is young and still a little raw. Um and you have their second best player, Chris Middleton, is out for how many more weeks? A few more weeks here. He's but he's the, been he's on the way back. On uh, the way back now. But yeah, he's he's practicing you know, with the team again. And we might see what they're like when he gets back and maybe right. they they start to have that cohesion. You know, Bud um uh, Coach Budenholzer has obviously put together a tremendous system around Giannis. And um, you have to imagine that he's figured out that the wall approach of the Raptors in that series last year. Um, there will isn't, be a response. Yeah, they'll have something <laughs> right. that they can I mean, do this I year. I think they're cohesive. It's just like the, the Raptors and the Celtics, for example, they have a bunch of long wings. They have a bunch of wings on their team. Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum. Um, the Raptors have Siakam, they have Ananobi, they have Rondé Hollis-Jefferson, they have Biggs who are really good on defense and Ibaka and Gasol. And the Bucks, I don't know, I just feel like the Bucks. <laughs> you can't say the same kinds of names. You, yeah, you, you can't say the same kinds of names. Their best player is Giannis, obviously, by far. Their second best player is Chris Middleton. He's a good defender, he's a good player, he's good on offense. But the other thing about the Raptors is, they have a bunch of guys who can make a play. You know, Gasol is obviously not going to drive the length of the floor, cross someone over, spin, and dunk on someone. But if you give it to him in the short roll, he's going to hit the open guy almost every time. If you leave him, he's going to make the floater or put it on the floor, take two dribbles and dunk it. Like, they've just got guys who can make a play, and the Bucks don't really have that. I feel like the Bucks are sort of they, – they really are almost like the Rockets. And, like, we don't talk about this because their defense is so much better. But offensively, it really is sort of like and, – and I don't mean to say that, like, Harden or, or Giannis in this case is like a ball hog or anything. But, like, it's like we're going to spread the floor. We're going to go five out. We're going to 
put shooters all around the perimeter. We're going to give Giannis as much space as possible to get to the rim. And, like, if we start doubling Giannis or that dries up, then we we don't know game to game who's going to make a play. You know, we don't know if Eric Bledsoe is going to knock down a shot. So we don't know if he's going to finish well enough at the rim. Brooke Lopez is, I think, shooting like 31, 32% from, the, from three this year, down from 36%. Um, you know, George Hill is injury prone, I think out right now, Middleton's out right now. So again, I think it's just sort of like when push comes to shove, do we actually believe that the Bucks can pull this off? And maybe Giannis is just good enough to get by like the Sixers and the Raptors and the Celtics. You know, he might be, he might very well be. I actually don't think he is. I really, I think the Celtics are willing to be formidable. Grant him the chance, but everybody I think is reserving judgment on that for now. People are hoping for it, I think, for the Bucks, but yeah, there are questions. There are a lot of questions. In part, Giannis is taking up you know, that much usage, hogging the ball, however we want to put it, because he has to. And in that sense, he's not hogging the ball at all. Yeah, he's doing yeah, totally. He's doing exactly what he has to do. Totally. I thought the comparison in my uh, – the comparison that came to me was between uh, Marc Gasol um, and um, Brooke Lopez. And I was thinking w- it would be so great if Lopez could do what Gasol does, which is, you know – Stand around the free throw line as as the team is coming up. Take the ball, slow things down in a high pressure situ- situation, and be able to get it to, you know, an open shooter. And but that's just not the way the Bucks offense runs. And I wonder if that's a flaw. I wonder if it will just be a flaw of the offense itself. I mean, like looking back, um, Bud's system seemed to work great until the Hawks ran up against LeBron. And then it just collapsed. And it didn't, like, it didn't just falter. I mean, it just collapsed. You mean they- Kawhi? No, I was talking about he, back he the, one years it, ago. Years ago when, when – when, Before the Hawks yeah. got rid of Bud for well, winning I mean, a game. I mean, Bud's thing was like, I don't know, they, they give up, like, above the break threes and they don't give up corner threes. Um, they protect the basket. But those LeBron teams, they just cash threes on them, like – um, Channing Frye, Kevin Love, Kyrie, LeBron, they just killed them with threes. And I mean, I don't know. I it I think I think that bud is gone. You know, that bud who was like resistant to yeah. change his system in those situations is gone. He started switching a little bit against the Celtics in the playoffs and then again uh, against Toronto. So I mean I think that bud bud is improved in that sense. But I mean the East is interesting because I feel like the Sixers are the fifth seed right now. The Heat are the third seed. But if the Sixers and the Heat played, I think I would pick the Sixers just because their defense and size would be overwhelming. And they both kind of have similar problems in that they don't – I mean, the Heat have a, a number one scorer in Jimmy Butler, and I don't know who the 76ers' number one scorer would be. But both of their options are suboptimal, I guess I would say. You would rather have a Kawhi or a PG or a LeBron as your number one scorer in the playoffs than a Jimmy Butler. Um, so, yeah, I feel like that would be an interesting matchup. And the Raptors just beat the Sixers, so I wonder who would you all take in a playoff matchup between those two? Who would you take in a playoff matchup between Bucks celtics between Bucks raptors You know, the top of the East is really interesting. I would take the Sixers against the Raptors, in, in part because I just don't think that Embiid can ever have that bad of a game again. <laughs> but he doesn't play well against Marcus Gasol, though. This he is didn't thing. even need to play well, and they were still five points up with I four mean, minutes true. left I mean, that's true. That's a go. good point. You know, in if he just plays a an average 
Embiid game or even a below average Embiid game in the rest of the Sixers play as well as they were playing last night, they win. I mean, they're he's just basically so only played below average against Marcus. So this is not just like a this is like this is going back a couple games now. Well, I think I'm I'm taking right now Including I'm taking the, the 76ers too, but I don't think we're looking at the Raptors team that's going to finish the season. And this, in a way, ties back to your waiver wire article, Jalen. In what direction? With, well, with I the think, Raptors, do you think that they're well, going to sell off? They could sell they off, but the buy? other thing that's happening is they've got some. They could sell off for other pieces, but they got some young guys coming up and taking over roles. We already talked about Rondé Hollis Jefferson eating up some more minutes. We have Terrence Davis at um, the two. Uh, Jalen, uh, we had this discussion a few weeks ago after after we had watched a Toronto game, I, and I think I I think I, I suggested that Davis might be taking Powell's minutes before the season was mm-hmm. over. And then we have Chris Boucher at the five as well, who's who's put up some nice numbers, a little uneven with Ibaka out. So I don't like I'm I'm seeing guys developing there. I don't know who's really truly going to show up. Um, so we could have a very different team. Right now I'm taking the Sixers. I'm probably still taking the Sixers, but I'm not counting the Raptors out at all with the moves the GM can make there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I yeah. think all the those guys. Is, I was actually thinking, so Jalen, I was thinking today about how much Masai Ujiri is reminding me of like Pat Riley in his ability to just like continually run out a good team always good no matter what assets they lose they just continue to be you know it's just organizational now they, their geely just, development is amazing what do you think about that comparison no i mean i think that's a good comparison um and i think i mean pat riley is pretty much unassailable but i mean i think i think that masai jiri hasn't he hasn't like gone stale you know he hasn't let the roster get stale in any way he hasn't like overpaid mediocre players and I feel like maybe this is the first opportunity that he'll have to like make that mistake or venture into those waters you know Fred Van Vliet is really good but like his shooting percentage is really low I think this season because he's overtaxed because he's not a primary playmaker he's not even really a secondary playmaker on a on a really good team like I mean you think about it he made like four shots in one of their playoff series and then he like took over the last couple games of the playoffs (laughs) but he had the luxury to only make those four shots because they had Kawhi and everyone else on the team and so I think he's overtaxed um and I wonder what that will look like in the playoffs and I think he's coming up for a contract but I mean they're they're great I mean you talked about all these young guys coming up and I feel like that's just surplus that's just extra options that's extra bodies (laughs) that's extra athleticism to throw at guys um, I mean, I think they're going to be a pain to play against in the playoffs. And and I think uh, here's the thing. They kind of remind me of other teams that are also very deep, except that, like, I don't know. I'm kind of, like, on the Toronto Raptors train. The, the Celtics beat them already once this year, so who's to say? You know, sometimes regular season matchups don't really matter, but, you know, who's to say that the Raptors could beat the Celtics in the playoffs? But I kind of think about it, and I'm like, both of these teams are construct- constructed very similarly, except Pascal Siakam's better than the Celtics' best player, right. which is whichever you want to say, Jason Tatum or Kemba. I think it's yeah. very obviously Siakam's Kemba, better. but, like, Siakam's better. Yeah. And so the rest is sort of, like, I mean, Gasol is, like, better than any big the the Celtics have. Lowry is just as good as the second or third best player on the Celtics. So, I don't know. It's interesting. Yeah. 
Anybody else on your watch list, Jalen, you want to call out? Um, let's see. So we, I think we mentioned a lot of them. You mentioned Terrence Davis. Um, we already mentioned Rondé. Uh, as uh, we mentioned, Nazir Little and Carmelo. Um, and as a shout out to uh, you, Kyle, well, uh, Daniel Gafford also made the list. Um, I think you picked him up for a moment, right? I didn't. I, I talked we, him out of it. <laughs> no, I don't think you. I don't think we you were did, driving but... here, and you were going to make a move, and you're like Gafford, and da da da, and you're like, oh, I could also pick up Jackson Hayes, and I was like, Jackson Hayes, pick up Jackson Hayes. Yeah, that's probably <laughs> it. Probably turned out well. Um, yeah, Jackson Hayes has been really great. Um, yeah, we did. We talked about Daniel Gafford a couple yeah. times. I think we even talked about him on here. He he's gotten a lot of buzz around from everybody though, and I think that. Every time that I hear somebody talk about the Bulls and the Bulls' future, they're like, Gafford is going to get his you know, time to shine at some point. Yeah, I've seen a bunch of Daniel Gafford articles recently. He scored, I think, uh, 21, 20, 10 of 12 shooting, five rebounds, one assist, and two blocks And when he got the start recently a couple games ago. Um, and again, this is just sort of like a Bill Jamesian concept. I forget the name for it, but basically, if there's a statistical anomaly, even if in a small sample, if it's large enough, it could be relevant. And so that's kind of how I felt watching that game. Um, yeah, I think I think he's been playing about 15 minutes since that game. I think Jim Boylan again, which is basically the only thing that matters at this point, is whether or not Jim Boylan likes you. Um, he's like yanking Zach Levine out of the game and Zach Levine is responding by scoring 49 points. But I will say for every coach out there, um, and tying Steph Curry for the second most three pointers ever made in the game. Yeah. I will say calling his coach out for yanking him early. Yeah. Yeah. All I'm giving him props for all of that. For you old ball coaches out there. This is not, this is not a pass to just be, you know, the typical, hard behind coach and like your player responds by being pissed off at you and then playing super well this doesn't work for every player and this is not <laughs> this this should not be an endorsement of that coaching method it's it's been it's a coaching method that's largely been dropped from the nba you still get it in high school college yeah. coaches can get away with it on weaker programs but like it like everybody's realized this isn't the way this yeah. isn't the way yeah um, so uh, Jalen just gave Kyle props for the Gafford call out. I want to give Kyle props for last week's discussion about Jarrett Culver as a potential keeper in our scorekeeper league. We had a lengthy discussion about it, the summary of which is along the lines of Kyle is keeping Jarrett Culver because he has a identified future role on the Minnesota Timberwolves. It makes him more valuable as a future keeper in the next few years than he is right now as he struggles to learn the game. Since we last talked about it, Jaron Culver is now in the starting lineup. Yeah, he replaces Jeff Teague. And it was interesting because my consideration at the time last week was between Jarrett Culver and DeAndre Hunter. Right. And that calculus was a little different because then it was about which player I thought could give me more of the stat categories that right. I wanted. And I thought that Culver has a greater possibility, you know, he he has he can he can give you just a little bit more oomph in steals, blocks, blocks assists. and assists. And <laughs> yeah. those were the ones that I cared about. I think right. that DeAndre Hunter is probably and his percentages don't hurt you. And his percentages don't hurt me at least um, in the current build that I have. And I think it's likely that DeAndre Hunter will will shoot 
and make more three-pointers. But I do think that that is going to be a defined skill set that the uh, Timberwolves will be working on with Jarrett Culver, and you could even see his numbers there in, increase. Um, he's not going to be the primary ball handler, even though he's replacing Teague. Um, a lot of that has gone to Wiggins. Um, part of the reason for that, um, and I think that Jalen, you can talk about this a little bit more, but it was that, or, or Michael, um, which is that, um, Teague was having a hard time getting entry passes to Carl Anthony Towns. Specifically Carl Anthony Towns. And given that Cat is the centerpiece of their offense, that's a problem. Well, there were a couple of ends of games that were tight, and it was problematic getting those passes into Cat. They ruined a few possessions with that sort of mess of an exchange between those players. Um, Wiggins can facilitate that more easily with his size. Um, Culver can do that better than Teague can. It's odd that a point guard has such struggles with an entry pass, but the the other benefit I think the Wolves will see is Teague stabilizing that second unit. And he'll still get significant minutes, but they'll mostly be with that second unit. I like that second unit. So I told you, I've like every year I end up watching some team you know, in inordinate amount just because they have a fantasy player of mine on them. Hawks Twitter, I'm joining you. Yeah. I'm all about Trey Young. <laughs> and that's what's happened to me with the Wolves this year. But I like but I like some of their bench players. And it, I like a Kogi. Um, I actually have liked Kata Bates Diop since he was at Ohio State. Yeah. He's He's ex- gonna be on my next article. He's an exciting player. <laughs> and nice. and I do think that Teague in that second unit opens up a lot of opportunities for those players because he can just run an offense and stabilize the team and get people to to run plays and yeah i yeah. i'm i'm here to see it and also yeah. i just oh i wanted to follow back to jalen about the hawks because they're another team i i watched a lot of because i was interested in that Jarrett culver deandre hunter um comparison and the the point that we were saying earlier about when I said that I thought other players could replace some of Cam Reddish's minutes, um, I'm thinking um, primarily of um, DeAndre uh, Bembry, right? Yeah, no, there there are Bembry definitely a lot of players exciting. better than Cam Reddish, but like it's crazy. Okay, so so there's obviously a link between Luka Doncic and Trey Young, and if you put Doncic on this roster, I think they would probably still be better. But there's so much. There's such a lack of talent surrounding Trey Young right now. I don't know how much that better they would actually be with Doncic, considering that Collins is out um, and Herder is also out right now. Um, the second best player on the team is Jabari Parker. <laughs> the second best player on the team is Jabari Parker, and that's like not even disrespectful. He's been playing super well this yeah, year, but good. at the same time, like you shouldn't, you probably shouldn't have a basketball team in 2019. So, Jabari where your Parker, best, play, best player is Jabari Parker. <laughs> Jabari Parker made a big deal out of his college choice, and it was at the end between Duke and Michigan State. And Tom Izzo had built up a relationship with him for years and years and we really thought it was possible we Michigan State one, fans. and so and so i i was always a little put off by him but, you know it's it's stupid i know it's personal and i don't really i don't really <laughs> like fandom. i don't like hold him accountable it's, it's for it it's the same over here i feel the but same I, way i only say that <laughs> because i've been watching the hawks and I really like what I see out of Jabari Parker right now. I he's really not, do. He's not doing his old sort of 
take mid-rangers, put the ball between his legs three times, and jack it up. Like, both he and Andrew Wiggins, are they're just putting their head down, they're going to the rim, or they're shooting standstill jumpers. And Parker, I don't even know how much he's shooting jumpers. He's almost playing like a five uh, for for some of the minutes with, with Trey Young and, and with the Hawks. I mean, he's dunking on someone almost nightly at this point. Like, he's at the rim every single time. He's using his pivot game. He's getting offensive rebounds. So, I mean, I totally agree. So, Jalen, why don't we stick with the Hawks um, and go to your other Razzball piece that I yeah. wanted to discuss. So, there's like a ton of tie-ins here. So, <laughs> we can – okay, so on the Hawks, you mentioned DeAndre Bembry, and I feel like I have the same feeling. Bembry was on my fantasy team last year for stretches. Every time I watch the Hawks, he makes like two or three plays a game where you're just like, wow, this guy is really good, right? He should be really good. And then you look at his numbers and you're like, oh, no, he's not. <laughs> so the percentages I mean, especially. Yeah, his percentages are very low. He's He is – well, actually, this year, maybe not. Um, he is, is he shooting over 50% from the line? Yeah, that's that's the one that is still really bad. He's shooting 43% from the, <laughs> the free throw line. So <laughs> that's really bad. But he's shooting That's like Jarrett Culver level. Yeah, he's shooting 36% from 3 and 55% from the field overall. So that's really good, but I feel like he's only playing Well, he's playing 25 minutes a game. So I just, you know, for his career, he's at 45 from the field. He's at 28 from three and 40 and 58 from the free throw line. So okay. that's that's the problem with DeAndre Bembry is that his percentages are so low. And yeah, but he is athletic. He's kind of explosive. He gets steals. You know, you watch him play and you think he should be better. And it's just maybe maybe this is the year it comes together. He should certainly get enough tick um, considering all the injuries that they currently have. And then you mentioned something on the Jarrett Culver, DeAndre Hunter thing. And I think DeAndre Hunter is shooting way better from three than Jarrett Culver this year. He's, Almost certainly. He's shooting a lot better from three. Yeah. So I think I th- I kind of think DeAndre Hunter will be a better shooter. He's at he's at um 37.8% from three this year. Culver is at like, I don't know. In the twenties, yeah, yeah. It's in Hunter's the 20s. already a decent free throw shooter, so that projects out to hold up. Yeah, so I mean, I think for me, the Jarrett Culver again, like I feel like I haven't watched enough Jarrett Culver to really have the strongest opinion about this. But when I see Jarrett Culver, I think, I think this is what the you know, Timberwolves see: he's big, he's long, he's athletic. He's not shooting the ball very well right now, but. We think that'll come around. He's not dribbling the ball very well right now, but we think that'll come around. Like, he is sort of Andrew Wiggins-esque, you know, that he could defend multiple positions. He can play make. uh, He'll eventually be able to shoot the three. So, I mean, I feel like there's reason enough to believe in him. But I'm a bit nervous just because of how poor he is dribbling they the Timberwolves played the Hawks last night and he was struggling to get by Trey Young like Trey Young was in his jersey almost taking the ball from him and Trey Young is not a good defender so that was like noticeable for me so um we don't have to talk about it a lot but um I do want to call out that Jalen wrote a piece I loved for Razzball it was about guys 6-3 and under who have been the best player on their team and led their team to a championship. There are a few historical um, guys to mention. Tiny Archibald got one. Walt Frazier got two. My guy Isaiah Thomas in Detroit got yeah, two. Yeah, Zeke. And uh, 
Um, uh, koozie, of course, though, that was a kind of different time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm not sure we can count those. Yeah, as I and said, I, I think that's do those even, really did count? I just steal your line? I think I stole your line there. Um, uh, talk to us a little about that, because I, I, I love the idea there. We've seen Curry do it. We have Trey Young, hopefully, eventually, taking his team there. Yeah, so, I mean, I tweeted this out from the um, Shot Tower uh, Twitter account the other night. Um, I said something to the effect of um, Allen Iverson, Dwayne Wade, Steph Curry, Trey Young. I definitely, indeed, have a type. Uh, so there's definitely a player type that I like and that I like watching. So, yeah, I basically I'm I just follow Trey Young. I follow the players that I'm really into. And so because I'm watching a lot of Trey Young, because I'm thinking a lot about Trey Young's game, the article came to me like, you know what does it what does it really mean that this decision that the Hawks made to choose Trey Young over Doncic and uh, I think what it means ultimately is that there's more pressure on Travis Schlenk to build a team around Trey Young of guys who have complementary talents to him because this is true of basically any star player that's six three and under this is true of Kemba Walker Isaiah Thomas the new Isaiah Thomas when he was on his run you know Steph Curry Steve Nash you're gonna need. You're going to need more complementary talent. You're going to need to make really good decisions with the guys you put around him because it's hard. It's hard to to dominate in the playoffs at that size when things get more physical and the whistles dry up. Um, you know, again, I said I said very pointedly in the article, Steph Curry won one championship without Kevin Durant on his team. You know, he had a chance to win two. They should have won two, but they only won one. So, like, I mean, I think that is notable. We can't just sort yeah. of wash that away. Um, Chris Paul doesn't have one. Steve Nash doesn't have one. Um, Nash should have had one. Yeah. <laughs> the, so. the, when the Spurs took him out in, in, in a way they wouldn't be allowed to anymore. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think, I, I think the Suns could have won that year. And when everyone got suspended. Right. <laughs> for I would love to bench. have a historical conversation about those Spurs teams and some of the teams that they managed to uh, eliminate eliminate yeah <laughs> there, there were air yeah. quotes there sorry pod listeners are you are you talking about uh bruce bowen s- literally baseball sliding under people's legs every time they took that's a jump that's what shot? i'm talking about yeah it's crazy it was allowed to go on as long as it did isn't I th- it i think we just yeah, stumbled upon particularly our, our second, because uh, it was be- so he had two skill sets bruce bowen did <laughs> he following badly and meanly and hurtfully Injure, injuriously. Yeah. And then he and then he learned how to shoot a three-pointer, and that's the only reason yeah. why he was in the league. It didn't translate to the free throw line, though, which is funny. Um, yeah, I, I think we just stumbled on our second collective disdain team, <laughs> the San Antonio Spurs. <laughs> I mean, I love Pop. I love Derek White. I love DeJounte Murray. But, yeah. <laughs> remember 2005. That's all I ever say is remember 2005. If you're a yeah. Pistons fan, it was the most devastating end of a season. Kyle was holding up his season. fist while he oh, was. Oh, yeah. And you're, and you're a LeBron fan, so you have 2007 and yeah. you've got 2014. We can 2007 share wasn't really all that rough, that though. Pain. I mean, the Cavs were not they even. Ready. Yeah, they 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 didn't look like they you know, should have been there yet. Yeah. Um, all right, where are we? Oh, is there anything else you want to say about Trey Young and, and, and being um, 6'3 and under? 
Um, not really. Like just, I hope Cam Reddish and DeAndre Hunter work out. I hope that they get more talent around Trey Young because the dude is really good. But I also think every time he goes into the lane and like someone blocks a shot or he misses a floater awkwardly, you can kind of see the failings that um, arise due to his lack of size. Um, so yeah, that's yeah. Pre- that's pretty much yeah. it. Um, one interesting note to to add to the Trey Young as a short guy uh, playing on a winning team. Um, this may be the way to that complementary defensive team around him. Uh, last, as of last week, there was a five-team squad for Atlanta, or five players, you know, five guys for Atlanta who were having have a very good defensive rating. Trey Young at the one, Reddish at the two, Hunter at the three, Collins at the four, and Len at the five. Their collective defensive rating, small sample, but it's eighty-four-nine which is kind of an amazing number. So, I mean, I'm a certain Hunter and Reddish were drafted to be those pieces. Yeah. Hopefully they turn into them. Yeah, I think Reddish, the report on Reddish is that he's, his defense is well ahead of his offense right now. Um, so that's a good sign. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right, I wanted to move on to talk about the Dallas Mavericks a little bit. They're doing better than anybody expected. Well, not anybody expected. Yeah. In Dallas, they were very high on Zach, the Dallas Mavericks. Zach Lowe <laughs> called it. Zach Lowe called it. I'll give it to and, him. And a couple <laughs> other – on most projections, people had them as the first or second team out in the West kind of thing. But they've been playing much, much better than that. Luke has been far better than that. One of the interesting things to me is how many different lineups the Dallas Mavericks keep running out there. And this was noted in the very first game of the season by a lot of sports writers because they started Courtney Lee. <laughs> and they started Courtney Lee even though they brought in DeLon Wright and even though Jalen Brunson was there and they had other guys they could have put in at the two. They started Courtney Lee because in terms of data, he defended Bradley Beal better than any other person on the Dallas Mavericks. It didn't work out. They ran him out there a second game. It didn't work. And then finally Wright was moved into the starting lineup. But even that has changed over the course of the season. Sometimes Brunson has started for him. They had Cleaver starting at the five. Powell came back from injury and took over that. But even at the the um, the three spot or the four, depending on where we're going to saying Luca is playing the three mm-hmm. or the four. Yeah, you know they had a bunch of guys that have started there as well. Yeah, um, Dorian Jackson, Finney, Dorian Finney-Smith, and yeah. now Hardaway's getting some yeah. start minutes too. So what I'm fascinated about the, the team is doing better than anybody expected. Partly Luca driven, obviously. I think Porzingis is going to continue to improve, and there's some more room to rise mm-hmm. for this team. But the fascinating thing to me is all of the other guys that they're getting some solid minutes out of. Mm-hmm. And, the, and, and they all seem to be database decisions, not unlike what we would see in baseball, like a pitching-hitting mm-hmm. matchup kind yeah. of thing. And, and so it seems to be the next step with data. Um, yeah, the Mavericks are employing the opener, <laughs> yeah. the guy who starts yeah, the first two exactly. innings of the or first, you know, fifteen minutes of the game, ten minutes of the game, Courtney and then comes Lee's out the equivalent of yeah. the opener in that situation. So I'm I'm, I'm liking all of that that they're doing, uh, and and don't know exactly um, where it's going next, um, but I, I'm I'm fascinated to see how their lineups will continue to change as the season goes on. Yeah, I'll be the first one to admit I was sort of thinking the Mavericks would miss the playoffs this year. And, uh, you know, I, I was holding out hope that they they could, but um, 
Yeah, I didn't. I didn't expect this. Luca's been uh, at basically MVP level from the start of the season. Yeah, I think he's almost averaging a triple double. He has multiple thirty point triple doubles. He's carrying them. And uh, Porzingis is still like, as you said, finding his way. He's had some some good games, but he hasn't been you know stellar. He hasn't been the best of Porzingis as we've seen yeah. in the past. Um, in fact, I think he's doing like really terrible on post-ups, like, uh, the synergy numbers on his post-ups are really bad. Um, he's basically like a catch and shoot guy and an offensive rebound guy. Um, and you know, maybe he's making some smart passes out of the role, but that's pretty much the extent of his yeah. offensive game. And it's more the defense that is, he's really impacting the, the, their team. Right. The top team in our league, the step back, or now as it's shortened, just step back, um, <laughs> is named after their MVP, MVP player, James Harden, but they also have... Luca. Luca. <laughs> Should they change the team name? The uh, Step Backs? Yeah, yeah. It's the multiple Step, step backs. backs. Yeah, that's that's all. That's the only change they need to make. It's two Step Backs. The two Step Back Kings. The, that's Luca and Harden. So um, we have one other big topic for this pod, and it's the league schedule changes that have been proposed um, one of the things is a in-season tournament to happen in December, January, or at least before the trade deadline. One other change is possible play-in games in the playoffs. And a third, this isn't a scheduling change exactly, but they, what they've suggested reseeding the conference finalists for record so it wouldn't necessarily be east against east and west against west so three big changes they've been getting a lot of play in the news lately um the in tournament thing i kind of like i like the idea of it just for the difference and to see what happens and to see how it plays i think it raises a little league interest at a time during the season when they don't have quite as much so i like it for that um so my question with that yeah. is, so I watch some European soccer. Um, I don't watch enough to really know what's going on all the time. And I'll admit that one of the hardest things is just knowing what each match actually is because they're playing in so many different leagues and in so many different in-league tournaments and things like this. And I do wonder when the NBA is proposing – uh, you know, a schedule change or, or a league change like this, if they actually might have the adverse effect and the unintended effect of confusing casual fans more, fans who aren't watching every night, and, and they start to wonder, well, what Why game, is this happening? What games do matter, right? right? And, and I mean, Kyle, so I... I I don't know how I don't know how much you want to get into this, but I feel like this is a perfect topic for you to discuss. You know, I feel like this aligns and touches upon things um, greater than basketball outside the general scope of just the NBA. Right. So part of the reason that the league is making a push and Adam Silver and the league office is making a push to institute all these changes because there's a bit of worry about the uh, viewership ratings. Uh, not enough people are watching the games. LeBron moved to L.A., you know, one of the biggest markets for the league, and viewership still went down. You know, they tried to move all the uh, well, games to earlier times. Viewership time, might so have gone down partially because of that because now there just aren't enough big names in 
Eastern time zone games. Well, that's, for people that's, that's sort of the that's sort of the worry, yeah. and that's why they sort of uh, they wanted to push up all the start times for the late games this year. So they're trying to figure out. You know, there was an assumption that LeBron going to LA would just be a, be a boon for ratings, and it wasn't that. You know, the Warriors are gone, so now a bunch of a bunch of fans don't have a team to love and root for, and a bunch of other fans don't have a team to hate um, and root against all all the time. So. There's a worry that like this is a trend and that this trend will eventually lead to things that impact the bottom line and have greater adverse effects for the league. And I feel like that makes sense. It's it's um it's Adam Silver's job to plan ahead to do these sorts of things to get ahead of the curve and make sure that doesn't happen. We all want the NBA to exist and survive, but at the same time I can't help but feeling in so many different ways, but one of the things I'm feeling is that this seems like pure capital it's driven based on capital right the league has to constantly be expanding the league has to constantly be growing the league has to be constantly making more money you know to to stay the same is to to fall back um it's the reason that we ventured into or the league ventured into china uh into that market uh, to to get more money um and, and I, why they're venturing into other markets as the china market is problematic yep. right now they're putting a lot of other resources in africa and europe yep yeah and, and and I wonder that this is supposed to, as you said, this is supposed to um, uh, be the the salvo for uh, casual fans, right? Except now we're putting instituting a European soccer style in-season tournament that could confuse or just add another layer for casual fans to but think about. But it could about. be interesting. The, the other part that I hadn't gotten to yet in my thinking was that the in-season tournaments may actually have higher ratings, and that might just be the simple consideration that the NBA is using right now, which is that games that are of greater magnitude somehow filter down to casual fans in a way that it gets them in front of screens, um, which it's, it's another not, way to highlight not like NBA games. NBA fans are still engaging with the league. Mm-hmm. They're just not watching, not watching the, full the, games. the games, which means that the advertising revenue is going down. There are, there are is, all kinds of, you know, people are tweeting about it. You know, people people are in general engaging with the league and watching highlight reels and and all these things, but which 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 is which is my other point, which is that there's all this sort of I'm, I'm exaggerating, but there's this sort of mass hysteria and panic about the ratings, and yet everyone is saying no one's watching games, no one's watching games, and yet there's this other form of engagement that the league is getting in mass, right? They're the, the most popular league on social media. Um, and I just – I wonder, like, what – what do they want and like why is no one thinking about monetizing those forms of of engagement because at the end of the day oh they're already this monetizing is the, them. this is the u.s i don't think i don't think anything is going to compete with football it, so they, we're in baltimore though and i think it needs to be said will they hold their social media preeminence forever when Lamar Jackson is playing the way that he's playing right now. Well, maybe not in Baltimore specifically, but <laughs> I think in no, general, I think in general, no, but actually, they will. Funny, funny thing is people all around the country right now are talking about like what a revelation he is. And his, his, you know, I, I haven't had time to watch the Ravens games recently, but I have noticed his clips blowing up Twitter. And part of that is because we're in Baltimore, I'm sure. But 
I follow a lot of people who aren't in Baltimore, and I'm just wondering, is there a point when the NFL gets savvy? I'm just basically using this as a as like a, I don't think there is. They get it wrong repeatedly with the shoes, with the jerseys, with the helmets, all of this stuff. The NBA you is think great that at NBA owns Twitter. Things. I I mean the NFL has to go through a big mind shift to get anywhere close to where the NBA is. Yeah, so I don't know what the rules what the NFL's rules are, but the Major League Baseball basically doesn't let you post any of their clips. Like you can't That's record, working out you can't, real well. You can't yeah. record your team, you can't record your your TV or anything like that. You can't grab a clip and post it. The NBA basically doesn't care if you do that on social media. MLB, they will sue you. They will send you like a letter, make sure you stop doing it. So I think that's their problem. They're certainly not going to be taking viewership from the NBA um, on social media. And I don't know what the NFL's rules are, but if I had to guess, I would say they probably won't either. But I mean, I think this touches upon another thing that I wanted to get at, which is like the NBA probably knows their viewership better than we do. Um, But I think their viewership probably skews younger probably skews more liberal than the viewership of the nfl i mean i wonder Isn't that us though yeah i mean <laughs> i mean that's us that's us but i mean i just i just wonder like who are who are these changes benefiting like so people aren't watching the games right and the worry is that part of the reason with the with the play-in tournament for the seventh and eighth seeds is that there are bad games at the end of the regular season because teams are tanking. But no one's watching the games anyways. I don't think people aren't watching the game because teams are, are tanking. The, the ratings are down right now at the beginning of the season. So my guess is that, like, I just wonder if it's a chicken or egg situation. We're trying to fix the fact that there are bad games and that maybe more people will watch. Maybe they won't watch. <laughs> maybe the fact is that no one's going to watch because the regular season doesn't matter. And I also wonder... Why does it, how much does it have to matter to garner the interest? I mean, it matters for me as a fan. Again, I'm not the person that these rules are being instituted or these potential changes are being instituted for. I love the NBA. I'm going to watch it no matter what. But I wonder, like, is it not enough that Trey Young just went 37, 8, and 9 last night? Is that a, not enough to garner interest? And, like, it's if, that's, for me. if that's not enough, then is there <laughs> really an answer? He doesn't even need to do that for me. <laughs> Any so, number of people know. could do part of that, and I would be interested. Yeah, no, I think you're right about all of that. Um, And it's fascinating to me because one of the things before the season started and before their TV viewership numbers were down, they were being touted as one of the fastest growing in terms of viewership. So it's it's, it's been a quick little shift um, with, with, with this happening. I like them attempting something, trying something to just generate more interest it's a great sport and i don't care i'm happy for them to do anything they want to do that'll bring more viewership to this league well the game of the season so far was celtics clippers and everyone thought it was the game of the season because it had a playoff atmosphere the more games that we can have where there's something at stake where there is something like a playoff atmosphere i think is great but not all teams are going to be the Celtics and the Clippers of this year. And so I, I hear what you're saying, Jalen, that they may be they may be trying to create intrigue where it's just not going to generate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, entirely I guess, possible. I guess that was my opinion. And also another drawback to this sort of in-season tournament thing was that if you advance far during the in-season tournament and you also are the 7th or 8th or ninth or 10th seed and you have to play in the play-in tournament, you're going to play 83 games potentially. Right. So this whole idea of reducing the schedule for player health, um, 
it won't really hold true for some teams under this scenario, which I think is important to remember. And obviously, I'm sure the NBA Players Association is well aware of that and they'll be thinking about that. But I think the reality is that in order to get the situation that they want, they would have to institute a model that's more similar to leagues like EuroLeague and the NBL where they play much fewer games. And because they play much fewer games, that means that the coaching staffs can scout heavily for these games. You can't scout heavily for uh, an NBA game. You're not going to institute a sort of box in one on James Harden in the middle of the regular season. The Bucks did it <laughs> one time. They instituted their rules where they just let him go right into the defense and they didn't let him get to his left hand. But not every team can do that because uh, they don't have a personnel. They haven't scouted for him. So you, you can't really prepare the way you can for a playoff series. But if there's only 62 games or 58 games, right. then that changes. Now there's more space between games. You have more time to scout and prepare. And obviously the players will be more well-rested. Hopefully there will be less injuries and they can play with more intensity. Um, and so I feel like what they're doing is skirting the real issue, which is the yeah. number of games that the teams have to play. And they're trying to avoid things like load management and rest and all these sorts of things by these other maneuvers, which I have questions about um, as I just expressed uh, but I will say as a positive I think the play-in tournament for the seventh and eighth seed is like the least intrusive of all of them and could garner some intrigue um, although I feel like at the same time it kind of invalidates the regular season in its own sort of way <laughs> Com completely agree that that it's skirting the really large issue here which is number of games player rest player health all of that it doesn't really address that um, one of the suggestions is that they needed to make some intermediary changes before they got to those bigger schedule changes. Um, hard to say there. I know you've got something else, Kyle. I want to propose one more rule change. It doesn't have to do with the schedule. It's not nearly as big. But I think it could similarly make the league more interesting. Um, at the end of quarters, and at the end of the half, at the end of the game, Players run up the court, and if they're not able to get in an actual offensive set, they usually wait until just after the buzzer has gone off to throw up a shot. And perfect example of this happened last night um, in the the Heat game, and uh, Heat against Charlotte, and uh, Hero. Ty Tyler Hero coming up at, at the end of the third quarter, catches a pass with like two seconds left. He runs up to basically exactly the, the, the half-court line on the logo, throws up a shot, and banks it in. But he let it go a split second after the buzzer went off. Doesn't count. He this watched is, the light go off and yeah, let go. This is my proposal. At the end of quarters, all quarters, all four quarters, and at the end of overtime, although I'm hoping that people at the end of overtime would be Taking, taking, taking good shots. Shot. <laughs> but at the end of any unit of play, the shot only counts toward your field goal percentage if you make it. I'm entirely fine with that. It's actually provided score provided score it. Yeah, already. provided that it take to, provided that it happens um, beyond the the three point line. I mean, beyond the half, half court, court line. line. Any 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 longer than a half court shot. Um, gets counted only if you make it. I think any shot that gets put up like that shouldn't get counted again, no matter what 
point in time you put it up <laughs> shouldn't get counted if that was a shot you had to make right there. Steph Curry's field goal percentage is like definitely like one percent lower because right. of all those shots he took. <laughs> he, he never he never holds it. He's one of the few players in the league who who like just shoots it every I, single time. It's one of the reasons why the Celtics love Marcus Smart. Because he'll always take that shot. His, right. his field goal percentage is probably a percentage lower over, <laughs> over his career from those two. Yeah. I thought you were actually going to say something like the the shot, if it goes in, counts for four points because then it incentivizes the players to take the shot mm. regardless of field goal percentage. But I like oh, that rule nice. too. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, so let's go. There, there were two other pieces of the schedule changes uh, that, that we can say a little about, I think. One is the play in playoff games. I also like this change, maybe just because I like change sometimes, but it reminds me of the second wild card in baseball, which allowed a lot of teams to play for something toward mm-hmm. the end of the season. So I like that here, that it would play out to the ninth and 10th seeds in both conferences. So I like that change. Yeah, I, th- I think I think you're right to peg it as a sort of second wild card or wild card game, um, as in baseball. And I think, again, I think that's the least intrusive one. That's the one I think that the most people would agree on and sort of favor. Um, although I would I would say that like in baseball wild card winners actually win the world series and that doesn't happen in basketball there's never been a seven never that there's never been a seventh or eighth seed to win the the nba finals whereas i think there have been four or six um the marlins did it twice i think um the nationals just did it this year it came from the wild card game uh and won the championship so different in that respect so again i'm just sort of wondering like we're adjudicating the game for people who don't even seem to like basketball. <laughs> that's that's how I'm feeling these days. Yeah, sometimes I think changes should be made for the people that already like it rather than trying to expand, right. but um yeah. It's not ours. That's 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 my that's my thought for today. The NBA is not ours. We But we get we, to enjoy it. We of NBA Twitter, we of League Pass we do not own the league. We do not get to make the rules. It's not there for us. It's there for the people who, I mean, we're paying to watch it as well, but it's there for the casual fans who, uh, that's who they're constantly going to be trying to get to make more money. And the other is the reseeding when we get to the conference files, w- finals. One of the re- ways this is possible is that we now just have games being played on alternate nights rather than multiple games being played on the same night. So um, it becomes much more possible, and we get the matchup, hopefully, of the two best teams if they come through with the reseeding. We don't see things like the Warriors and Rockets when they were the two best teams and then playing the Cavaliers. Uh, I guess that was two years ago. Um, so it removes some of that stuff, hopefully raises the intrigue to any problems with that. So the proposal that? is for no conference? No, no. It's so when you get to there, there'll be two conference finalists from the East and the West, and they will reseed those four teams mm. based on record. So you could get, instead of, instead of the Warriors and Rockets two years ago, I think it would have been Warriors and Cavs, Rockets and... Celtics, Celtics, yeah, and then the Rockets and Warriors could have met in the final, so it would have changed the seat. It would have changed the matchups in like six out of the last ten um, NBA finals. So it's sort of a, it's kind of a big change. I mean, it would have had a lot of effect. I'm not about it. 
Yeah, I don't know if I love that one, but it's only because I do think that as much as the NBA has become a global league, I think that they still have their strong their strongest base is geographically proximate to the teams. Um, I mean, I think of it like the Thunder as the the best example of this. I thought when the Sonics moved to Oklahoma that they were basically done for in a way. And I have been consistently proven wrong, pleasantly proven wrong, right? It's great to see how Oklahoma has turned out for the Thunder. Year in, year out, rebuilding doesn't matter. Always kind of a surprise in a nice way. And I just think that when you go to this, I mean, so you look at it right now, I'm just like, oh, that really favors Clippers-Lakers for maybe the next couple of years in, in things like that. You don't want it? And it seems like you're neglecting half the country, you know, half the league in, a, in, in terms of, if you're thinking about the league in terms of geography. So I don't know. I'm, I'm like, I'm not... I, I have more reservations about that than I do some of the others. Yeah, I mean, I think what you said about rivalries, it's sort of uh, it's going to eliminate some of those natural rivalries. You know, let's say the, you know, Philly, Boston are would be the Eastern Conference finals. All of a sudden now one of them has to play the Clippers or the Lakers, you know, so that's very different. But I do find it funny that this rule, I mean, the rule has probably been, thought of and planned and shown to and given to the NBA Players Association for years now but it is interesting that it's happening in the year when both the Lakers or Clippers are good so we could wind up with a LA LA um uh finals so I think that's funny if we're talking about NBA conspiracy They want a subway series you know or or whatever the LA equivalent is here so bad a I ba- mean, ESPN bad, bad traffic been, series is that what it would be called? Yeah, ESPN's been setting it up all season long. Like this is their main narrative. It lines up perfectly. All right, I think that brings us to the end of another Shot Tower podcast. We're heading into the Thanksgiving holiday, and I just want to give a quick thanks to the NBA, to the WNBA, to the G League to the scorekeeper fantasy league to all the players playing in college but not the ncaa and i want to give a thanks to my friend kyle who's right over there and my friend jalen who's right over there and Uh, thanks to you michael i love doing this podcast with you guys i love talking basketball i'm thankful you two exist that's it for shot tower we are turning off the phantom power cheers